Welcome to Think Jewish. This week we're having Shavuot on Tuesday night, Wednesday, Wednesday night, Thursday, and it's Shabbat Bahalotcha. So for this week we're going to not talk about the parasha, rather we're going to focus on the Chaga Shavuot and uh, some interesting conversation about that. So the title for today is Jacob's Ladder and Mount Sinai, Finding Your Inner Strength. Very interesting. I don't remember this because this was before my times. But interesting enough, the Rebbe would actually on Shavuot, the night, the eve of Shavuot, there's a custom to be up a whole night. And you either recite or study words of Torah. Recite, there's a special book called Tikkun Leil Shavuot. It's a very beautiful setup from every single parasha, from every single book of uh, the prophets, every single book of the scriptures, every single book of Mishnayis. It's a very beautiful setup. And there are those that study. Our custom is to do that and uh, to do the reading. But uh, I also give over here three lectures. Let me just use this moment to let you know. Those who want to join us, it's going to be in my house on Tuesday night, three lectures. First topic, it's going to be honoring dysfunctional parents. Second topic is going to be murder slash euthanasia, question mark. And the third topic is going to be Shabbat, an oasis or a plague. So those are going to be three topics. But either way, that's because in the year 2448, which is the year where the Jewish people stood at the foot of Mount Sinai and God descended the mountain to give us the Ten Commandments and we're taught that the Jewish people overslept. And therefore, it's our custom every single year and that night to stay up and study Torah. The Rebbe, a blessed memory, would come down to shul pre-dawn and deliver a mimer right before dawn. So, that in my years already that wasn't. In my years there was only one mimer and that was the end of the holiday when the Rebbe would have the Fabrengen. But before my times, that was the custom of the Rebbe. So we're going to focus today on teachings from the mimer that the Rebbe delivered pre-dawn in 1967, which is a very special year. It's the year I was born. So let's talk about what's going on here. Let's start with a very interesting story that's mentioned as follows. In the, in the book of Shir Hashirim, Songs, there's a very interesting teaching that when it says Shlomo HaMelech, it does not refer to King Solomon, but it refers to God. And the way our sages say, to he who unto him is peace. So whenever it says in the book of Shir Hashirim, not whenever, uh, but let's put it this way. For this verse, when we say Shlomo HaMelech, we don't mean the physical King Solomon, we mean God. Shlomo from the word Shalom, so that's the peace. Now, here's a very interesting verse. I'm going to read it to you. It says like this. Go out, O daughters of Zion, and gaze upon King Solomon upon the crown which his mother crowned him on the day of his nuptials and on the day of the joy of his heart. 
Okay? What does that verse mean? If King Solomon refers to God, what does it mean? The day of his nuptials, the day of his joy, of his heart. And we're taught that what is the day of God's chatuna? It is the day of Matan Torah. Many of you may have heard that God lifted the mountain upon Mount Sinai, upon the Jewish people. He held it up over the head of the Jewish people. And there are those, the Talmud tells the story that he threatened. Either you accept the Torah I'm about to give you, or I'm dropping the mountain on you. Kabbalah actually gives a whole different twist and says that God held Mount Sinai over our head to serve as the chuppah for the chatunah. So God actually... We had the Chatunah on that day. Now, what does the verse say? It talks about the mother of Shlomo HaMelech making him a crown for that day. <laughs> Who is God's mother? What does that mean? Stood up Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and he turned to Rabbi Eliezer ben Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yossi, and he said to him, maybe you have heard a teaching from your father upon this crown and the mother made? And Rabbi Yossi answered him with a metaphor. He heard a metaphor from his father upon this verse. A metaphor of a king that had an only daughter. And on that day, he was so gushing with love for his daughter that he called her my daughter. He still was gushing with love and he called her my sister. He was still gushing with love and he called her my mother. So too with God. God on that day was so gushing with love for us. He called us my daughter and it goes on to quote a verse in which God calls the Jewish people his daughter. Then he goes on, he's still gushing with love, and he called us his sister. And it brings a verse where it's called, we're called Achoti Rayati, my sister. And then God went further than that with love, he called us his mother. And then the sage brings a verse in which God refers to the Jewish people as his mother. Interesting. Rav Shimbar Yochai stood up and said, were I not to have come here only to have heard this reasoning, it would have been enough. And he kissed Rabbi Yossi on the head. Okay. The story seems to be a simple story. Obviously, there was a question, how do we call us God's mother? And what is this crown that we're talking about? Rabbi Yossi gave a metaphor that answered that question that God in love on that day called us his mother and that seems to be the whole story but obviously from Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's reaction followed by that outburst of a kiss what's going on here obviously there's a secret here he kissed him on the head and said were I only to have come to hear this what's so there's got to be more than meets the eye what is the secret here? Number one. Number two, what exactly is going on with this crown? We gave God a crown. So let's talk about who made the crown, who gave the crown.
You're all familiar that with the Jewish people, when God asks us if we want the Torah, what do we answer and in what order? We shall do and we shall hear. And what does that mean? The mere fact that we responded with such obedience, not first let me hear, and then I'll tell you if I'm going to do. Or even if I commit to do, I want you first to explain it to me. Right? How many times do we have that? Well, Rabbi, if you can explain to me why I should put on tefillin, I'll put on tefillin. Where's the answer of na'aseh v'nishma? First na'aseh, then nishma. First thing I find out, this is what God wants, I'm doing it. Later, I'll sit and learn why I'm doing it, why does He want me to do it. So because the Jewish people answered in that order, na'aseh v'nishma, so our sages tell us in Talmud, in the tractic Shabbat, tells us that 600,000 angels descended, each one with two crowns in their hands, and placed on each Jew, on their head, two crowns. One was because of the na'aseh, and one was because of the nishma. One was because we'll do, and one was because we'll hear. The problem with this is, that according to this, we got the crowns. According to the verse, where in love God calls us his mother, we made him the crown on the day of this wedding, on the day of the Mount Sinai chuppah. So who made who the crowns? And what's going on here? So there's an interesting teaching. In Leviticus, on the verse, Kedoshim Tihiyu, you shall be holy. Ki Kadosh Ani, Kedoshim is plural, equals two. Ki Kadosh is a third one. The angels say, Kadosh, 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 holy, holy, holy. So we're taught as follows. Mashal, a metaphor, another metaphor. The Medrash gives very often metaphors to explain things. What is the other metaphor? Goes on to explain that there was once a king whose subjects made for him three crowns. What did the king do? He placed one on his head and two on the heads of his children. A little problem here. The subjects are the angels. The children are us. In this teaching, who made the crowns? The angels made the crowns. We say it every single day in our prayers, right? Who says kadosh, kadosh, kadosh? The angels say it. So they're the ones that make the crowns. So again, there's a problem with this verse in Shir Hashirim. His mother made him the crown. So the explanation is very interesting. And this is going to set us off for the topic we need to discuss tonight. We are taught by our sages that the angel in heaven cannot begin to say his shira, its song, until the Jew here below says his prayer. Her prayer. So what's interesting here is that the angels up high depend upon us down here. The angel cannot begin to sing it's kadosh, kadosh, kadosh until the Jewish people down here start saying kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Therefore, 
even though it, the, the story of the Medrash tells us the metaphor that the angels were the ones that made this, the angels were the ones that made the crowns, and the story in Shirashirim, the verse says that we made the crowns, they're both true. Because in essence, the angel cannot begin until we do it. On the other hand, this is important what I'm about to share with you. On the other hand, Jewish prayer down here, the prayer of a Jew down here, cannot ascend to heaven without the help and the processing of angels. And I'll quote to you later on when we get more in detail about the Zohar that tells us this. So really both teachings are true. The subjects made the crowns, but in essence it's the Jew, like it says in Shir Hashirim, because the angel couldn't do it without the Jew, but the Jew's words couldn't be turned into crowns without the angels. Which leads us exactly into the topic that we're going to talk about tonight. The relationship between the souls and the angels. It seems to be from what we're saying here that the angels need the Jew, the soul. They can't start their shira, their songs, before we start our prayers. But on the same token, we need them because our words are not going anywhere if the angels don't process it so that they can enter into heaven into the world of absolute purity and humbleness and transparency now let's talk about the relationship between souls and angels the title was to find our inner strength so we're soon going to see how this works between the soul and the angel so let's begin. Let's start with a conversation that we're all aware of. We've actually spoke about this in previous classes. This too is part of that whole piece of the Talmud in Shabbat, page 88, where it talks about so many stories about Shavuot. That's where the story of Shavuot is told in the Talmud. And it says, When Moses went up high and the angels had an uproar, what is the offspring of a woman doing amongst us? And God tells him, he's here to get the Torah. I'm giving him the Torah. And the angels said, why are you giving your perfect Torah to the imperfect human beings? And we've discussed this many times. That conversation that Moses had with the angels, to which the angels agreed to him, and not only they agreed to him, they each gave him a gift to bring back. That conversation was where Moses taught the angels two things. Number one, holy angels, you are all creations of the divine light. While the soul in its source comes from the essence. Everything including angels is actually a question when angels were created. Monday, Thursday, but normally we refer to angels as behema, the animal. Right? You have the face of the ox, the face of the lion, the face of the eagle. If you read Ezekiel, how he talks about the chariot. This ox, this what, what really is it? One is angel Michael. He's on the right side of the throne. Angel Gavriel is on the left side of the throne. So animals were created on Thursday. But be it as it may for right now, 
The angels are part of the process of Genesis, and Genesis is all about Vayomer Hashem, and God said, let there be. Angels are the process of the utterance of God. They are the creation of the divine light. However, by the soul, it does not say, and God said, let a spirit enter the nostrils of man. What does it say? And God breathed. And we learn out from that in the Zohar, man de nafach, he who breathes is not like talking. You take a deep breath and push out. It comes from the inner essence. And thus we learn out from this that the soul is a creation of essence. It's a piece of the essence of God. So the first thing that Moses lets the angels know, you should know. That the reason why the Torah is given to the soul and not to the angels is because the soul is the essence. It's a pre-Bereshit. It's a pre-Tzimtzum. It's an essence. And so too is the Torah. A pre-Tzimtzum. A pre-contraction. The Torah is not the divine light of God. But rather God says, I have placed my essence in the Torah. So the essence, essence, relationship cannot take place with the angel because angels are not creatures of essence, they're creatures of divine light. And God said an external expression. I'm explaining to you, God said, when you talk, you externally express. That's light, that's divine light. While the soul is essence. The second thing that Moses explained to the angels was that even in the relationship between the Torah to the soul, the essence-essence relationship, this Torah was not meant to be given to the soul as it is a beautiful, pure, crystal piece of essence. Rather, the Torah was specifically given to the soul as it descends into the body, and over there, the soul is susceptible to jealousy, to evil temper, to all sorts of temptation. And that was the second part of the conversation where he tells the angels. And what does it say in this Torah? It says in this Torah that you shall not take an oath in vain. When do people take oath in vain? In the matters of business. It says you shall not covet your fellow's wife, your fellow's animals, your fellow's property. Do, do angels understand what jealousy means? Let me ask you a question. Does a soul in heaven understand what jealousy means? So where was the Torah meant to be given? Not to the soul in its purest, beautiful sense. But specifically in the lower dimension of the soul. The way it's brought down here. Where the soul is squeezed, diminished into a body and has to deal with the darkness of a body and the physical environment. These are the two things that Moses told the angels. The angels agreed to him. They each gave him a gift. And the Torah was given to us down here. Now let's talk about this. We're going to have to explore the famous dream. Jacob's ladder. Jacob's running away from Esau. And what happens? He lays himself down to rest. He places his head on a rock. And he dreams. And what was the dream? 
And behold, there was a ladder that was set upon the ground and its top reached and up to heaven. And angels descended and ascended upon it. What is this ladder? So those of you who have done some research on this, you'll see that most often we talk about the ladder of Jacob's ladder as prayer. It's references to prayer. Prayer begins on the ground. We wake up in the morning and the only thought we have on our mind when we wake up in the morning is self-preservation driven by egocentrism. I. We say moda ani, a blanket statement of thank you. From there we climb up the ladder until we reach a greater paradigm, a more refined paradigm of hero Israel. God is our God, God is one. And then we reach up even higher on the ladder, reaching up to heaven where we stand silently before God in Amidah with total transparency. In Amidah, we stand before God in the throne room and we say, God, everything I ask you for is just give me what I need in order to be able to serve you. Total transparency. Now, on this ladder, as we mentioned before, the angels are going up and down. Because prayer cannot ascend by itself. And we'll talk about it soon. But I want to introduce to you a second interpretation on what this ladder represents. And this, this interpretation, actually, not many know about it. Many people know that the, the Jacob's ladder is, represents tefillah, and it's, it's talked about in many places. But there's a very interesting teaching in one of the writings of the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shneur Zalman of Liadi. And the Alter Rebbe gives a second interpretation in this teaching. The ladder represents the soul. Jacob. Jacob represents the soul of the Jewish people. And this ladder is set upon the ground, reaches up to heaven, and angels descend and ascend upon it. What is that supposed to mean? What does it mean that the angels are ascending and descending upon the soul? What's going on here? And in the soul, what does it mean set upon the ground, reaches up to heaven? And to understand this, we need to understand that the soul, we speak about the soul in two dimensions. Which is why I introduced to you before what Moses told the angels. What are the two dimensions? Dimension number one is the way the soul is absolutely pure and clear. It is a piece of God. It is a piece of essence. That's the way it is up in heaven. However, there's also the soul the way it comes down into this world, set upon the ground. Now let me share with you very interesting teachings of our sages. When we talk about the soul the way it is up in heaven, we refer to it as Eitan HaEzrachi. Eitan means strength. The way the soul is in heaven, it's untouchable, unbreakable. However, there's also the soul the way it comes down into this world, and there the reverse refers to it as Na'ar Katan. What is Na'ar Katan? A young child. Weak. The way the soul is down here, it is susceptible 
to the temptations of the evil inclination. Up there, there's nothing to talk about. No evil inclination, there could be no dust put on the eyes of the holy soul. It's not interested in anything. Its devotion and commitment and oneness with God is absolute. It is a piece of the essence of God. However, the way it is down here, the soul, it is really weak. It gets even worse than that. How do we refer to the Yetzirah? Melech Zaken. We call him the old and foolish king, but we refer to him as a king. We don't refer to him as a young child. And therefore, when the soul down here deals with the evil inclination, it is truly hopeless. How dare I say that? Very simple. I'll quote to you a teaching of the sages that is quoted in the Tanya of the Alter Rebbe in chapter 13. Were it not for the Holy One, blessed be He, helping the soul, He would not be able to ever win the Yitzhahara. What does this mean if not for God helping? If you guys are familiar with chapter 13, He talks about that it's like three, it's like a, a, a court case. A court case in Jewish law has to have three judges. And in the deeper Kabbalistic sense, what that means is there's one judge who comes from the right side, leniency, kindness. The other judge comes from the strict side. And then there's the judge who tits, tilts the scale. So he talks about how there's one judge, the godly soul, one judge, the animalistic soul. And those are the two voices you hear in your head. Do it, don't do it, do it, don't do it, do it, don't do it. And what tips the scale? is the third judge. And then the Alter Rebbe says, and who is this third judge? And he gives an, an answer which seemingly doesn't make sense. The third judge is HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem. Because if not for Hashem helping, you would never win. As a child, when I studied that chapter, I never understood it. So what do you want from me? It's not my fault. It's the third judge's fault. What do you want from me? And I asked one of my teachers, and there's two answers. I'm going to just share with you one answer. The one from the fifth Lubavitch Rebbe, which is the one that we're talking about now. What is the job of the angels according to the interpretation that the latter refers to the soul? And the set on the ground refers to the narkatan, the young, the, young, um, the young small child down here. And then when we talk about the, it reaches up to heaven, we're talking about the Eitan Azrahi. The strong essence of God. So we have the two dimensions of the soul. However, the angels need to be ascending and descending because their job is to connect the two. The angel's job is to bring the soul down here, power from the soul up there. So really what's happening is if the soul down here can connect with its source up there, it has the power to overcome the Yitzhahara. To talk in modern language, virtual reality to the soul down here, that is helplessly reality. To the soul down here, the fears, the worries, 
everything that human beings are so afraid of. To the soul down here, the American dream, the love, the way of humans down here experience it, that virtual reality is the only true reality. Because it's stuck within the body. And to the body, like we spoke last week, everything is the binary code, not the unary code. So it sees things in this virtual reality. To quote a verse from, uh, from the Torah, it says that there ain't tzur kelakenu, there's no rock like our God. And chassidim say, don't say tzur, say tzayar. Not there's no rock, there's no artist. God is an unbelievable artist. In a world of oneness, he projects dualism. And this soul down here is stuck in that reality, that virtual reality. The job of the angels is to connect the soul up there, which doesn't get blinded by virtual reality. Were we at any moment of temptation be able to clearly see things for the way they are, we would never sin. We just wouldn't sin. But at that moment of temptation, the virtual reality is so tangible and the true reality is so abstract that the soul hopelessly drowns in virtual reality. So this ladder and the angels up and down, the job of the angels is because the soul down here is too weak. So the angels are going up and down, bringing powers from the soul up high, the essence of the soul, the Eitan Hazrachi, bringing it down, bringing it back up, and that gives the soul power. And thus now this interpretation of the ladder, the dream of Jacob's ladder, takes on a whole new dimension. You know that the, the more famous interpretation is that the ladder represents prayer. Now let's talk about the same thing. How does it work with prayer? What happens here is that prayer has to be said by a soul down here, right? We spoke about that. Everything's down here. God gave us a Torah down here. However, no matter how seriously we ever try to pray, the bottom line is that the soul down here does not have the capacity to truly understand divine perceptions. How much less so does the soul down here have the capacity to give birth to true love and fear of God from these divine perceptions? Because that's how emotions work. You, love it, you learn, you understand, and you give birth to emotions. That's real emotions. Everything else is not, uh, you know, it's fatuity. It's not real, it's not real emotions. But the soul down here, stuck in virtual reality, doesn't have that power. So when you talk about the Shema Yisrael, when you talk about the Avat Olam, when you talk about these levels, the soul down here is not capable of really experiencing it. Because it's not capable of having the true concentration, understanding on divine concepts to be able to say these words where this becomes tangible reality and not abstract spirituality. 
On top of all of that, we're taught something else. Egocentrism is the center of every single creation. I must survive. To get into heaven where it's all about theocentrism, it's all about absolute humbleness, it's absolute transparency. When a prayer is full of human fingerprints, I, 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 I need, I deserve, I'm asking you, those words don't enter into heaven. Because heaven is not that realm. There's no I, 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 I in heaven. That's down here. So the Zohar tells us, very interesting, that the angels, they hug the words, they kiss the words. And you know the Zohar always talks in metaphors. The hugging and the kissing is that the angels cleanse the words of the Jewish people in prayer. It wipes off, it washes off this fingerprints of egocentrism because the soul down here when it's connected to the soul up there there's always a true touch of selflessness so the job of the angels are to go up and down this ladder of prayer to clean the words so that they can become crowned for God so what we're understanding over here is that there's two dimensions of the soul. Thank you. There's two dimensions of the soul. There's the dimension of the soul the way it is, the heaven, the ladder reaches up to heaven. That is the essence power. And when the soul connects to that, there's no problems. You don't have to worry about any Averot. No soul in its right mind would ever sell out God, an eternal connection for a temporary pleasure. Just not happening. But the soul down here, the narkatan, the young child, trapped in this virtual reality of the physical eye. So the job of the angel is to connect that ladder, to connect the bottom of the ladder, the narkatan, with the top of the ladder, the eitan hazrachi. So too with prayer. The job of the angels is to bring that power of true selflessness and oneness of the soul in its source, the essence, down here, allowing the soul down here, even when it's praying, to really simply be able to be rich, to be beautiful, to find the shidduch, all the wonderful things that we want. The angel is able to take that prayer and wash away the fingerprints of the I, 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 and find the power of the higher soul within the lower soul and bring that up to God. Okay? In closing, let's understand what's going on here. So, Rabshim Bayachai turns to Rabyosi. Maybe you can share for me a teaching from your father? What is going on in this verse of Shira Shirim? We made a crown for God. We're the mother of God. What's going on here? Turns around. Rabbi Yossi and tells Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon that I heard from my father on this verse a metaphor that there was a king which is God who had an only daughter which is us and on that day of the wedding at that day of Mount Sinai his love for us was so gushing that he called us his daughter he still didn't 
wasn't able to move from that total gush and overflow of love. So he says, my sister. And he still can't move away from it. He's just totally in awe and love of his daughter. And he says, my mother. Rav Shimbar Chai stands up, says, if I would have come here to hear nothing but that itself, that would have been Dayenu. And kisses him. What's Rav Shimba Yochai seeing here? What's the secret here? The secret is that Rav, Shim, Rav Yossi is telling him that the soul up here, up there, and the soul down here is one and the same. The same soul who's my daughter is the same soul who's my sister is the same soul who's my mother. And thus, Rav Shimba Yochai says, Oh, until I heard this teaching from your father, I thought there are two dimensions, polar opposites. They're really not one and the same. Only thanks to the angels who's running a pigeon courier service are they connected. But now your father's saying, no, not the case. This, this soul down here, this is the soul up there. It's one and the same. My daughter is my mother. That was so overwhelming to Rav Shem Baruchai to be able to hear that the soul down here which the Torah was given to, even though it looks so weak, it looks so susceptible to temptation, this is the essence soul, which is the only creation that has a connection, an essence connection with the Torah. By the way, because the soul down here cannot experience the power and paradigm of the soul up there without the angels, the angels also piggyback and they receive a reward. Even though they're creations of light, but their reward is that they can nurse and nurture of the Jewish soul's connection of essence. But the teaching that caused such a reactionary kiss from Abshim Bar Yechai is, oh my God, I thought it's two separate souls, two separate complete dimensions of the souls, polar opposites. They stand completely. This is strong and powerful and this is weak. And thanks to the angels, what we say before from chapter 13, the third judge connects the two. But they're really two. Your father has revealed to me that when I look at a soul down here and it looks so weak, keeps on falling through in temptation, it looks like such a young child, a reckless, young, weak child. You should know, no, my daughter is my mother. Guys, let's talk practically. So there's a famous saying. What's the famous saying? The famous saying is that the early bird gets the worm, right? You heard of that? Well, they never told you the other half of the saying. And the early worm gets eaten. So even though you never heard of that, but you realize that one without the other can't be true. If the early bird gets the worm, then the early worm gets eaten. Now what happens here? The soul up high, that's the bird. The early bird gets the worm. The soul the way it is in the essence of God is never going wrong. It always makes its catch. However, when I look in the mirror and I look at my soul the way it is down here, a narkatan, a young, weak child, reckless, can't get the job straight, can't get the strength to stand up to temptation and stay committed, 
Seemingly, I'm going to see what? This is the worm that gets eaten. The message of this whole teaching is that when you look into the mirror, knowing how many times we fell through again and again and again, we look like a hopeless leaf driven by temptation. When you look into that mirror, what should you see? Says Rabbi Yossi in the name of his father, that weak soul that you see in the mirror, that isn't the worm. That is the bird. And the early bird gets the worm. The one thing that gets in the way of the angels connecting us to our highest level is us not will be willing to accept that this is who we truly are. So the angel comes down the ladder and says, Ingela, you know that you're a bird? Nah, I'm a worm. That's what Rabbi Yossi was telling in the name of his father, Tavshim Bar Yochai. We need to teach the Jewish people there are no worms. Not amongst the Jews. Not in my notes, but I want to share this story with you. I happen to know the person personally. Those of you who were here for a while, he used to live here. He used to have a, a home in Florida. He lives in New York, but he has a... He comes from Curaçao. His father lived in Curaçao. And Curaçao didn't have a Chabad house. There wasn't enough community there to have a full-time shliach. So the yeshiva boys would take rotations. They would go there and they would bring Jewish articles. They would give shiurim, strengthen. They'd go away and they'd come back. That's the way it was. One time this man said, he wants to write a letter to the Rebbe. Send it with the boys. And he sent a letter. I actually saw a photo that copy. He signed off the letter, a small Jew in Curaçao. I saw the copy. The Rebbe crossed out small and said there's no such thing as a small Jew. Even though to us we have all the clarity and proof that this must be a small Jew. Look how many mistakes I make. Look how many times the Itzahara plays with me like silly putty. My daughter is my mother. The ladder is one ladder. When we can get that paradigm straight, where can we see that we are only the early bird gets the worm, then we're understanding what Rabbi Yossi told Rabbi Shimba Yochai and why he kissed him. Have a wonderful, wonderful Shavuos.